Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Franchise dead. You're it. Welcome to NFL Live. Major implications today for running backs Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard as we have just crossed the deadline for franchise tag players to sign long-term deals. Kevin Nagani, what a show to be a part of here alongside Adam Schefter, Mina Kimes, and Lewis Riddick. And we're past the 4 o'clock deadline that will impact some of the top running backs in the league. Now, players on the franchise tag could only sign multi-year extensions up until 4 o'clock Eastern today. We're just past that point. That includes... Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, and Saquon Barkley. If no deal was reached by 4 p.m., they can either play the 2023 season on their one-year franchise tag amount, or they can hold out for a max of 11 games to play enough for an accrued season. And, Shefty, let's start with the league's leading rusher last season, Josh Jacobs. What more can you share with us? Kevin, they are not going to get a deal done for Josh Jacobs in Las Vegas there was a push at the last minute where Jacobs had to decide on a three-year deal that ultimately he turned down and opted not to accept. And so now Josh Jacobs with the unsigned franchise tender doesn't have to report to the start of training camp. No sign of when he'll report. And we'll be talking about Josh Jacobs plenty up until the start of the season. Tony Pollard, the Cowboys running back, has signed his franchise tender already. Did that earlier this offseason, but no long-term deal for Tony Pollard. And that means he must report to training camp with his team, and then he will play this season on that one-year franchise tender for $10.1 million. He's under contract already. And the Giants and Saquon Barkley did not reach a long-term deal before today's 4 p.m deadline and that means that we do not know when we will see Saquon Barkley next in New York. He has not signed that franchise tender like Josh Jacobs. He is not obligated to report to the team and in this soft running back market we continue to see running backs struggle to get the types of deals that they want. The last deal for a running back that was over 10 million dollars a year was Nick Chubb 716 days ago and so running backs tried but failed to get the money they wanted today the Raiders made an attempt to sign Jacobs the Giants made an attempt to sign Barkley no deals before the deadline these running back dramas are a long way from being over and we got immediate reactions coming in Saquon tweeting just before 4 p.m. Eastern time quote it is what it is so what does Saquon really mean to the Giants it's pretty simple and you go by expected points added over his five year career in New York when Saquon Barkley's on the field the Giants offense is a net positive unit without Saquon this offense wasn't just a net negative it was a net negative by far his presence worth a half a yard per rush of the Giants ground game and Brian Dable's offense he accounted for 28 percent of their offense when we talk about that impact in year one under Dable let's bring in Lewis and Mina and Lewis you're our GM here. And you see, I mean, $10.1 million is a bargain when you look at the value who you, he brings here. Why are you okay from the Giants' perspective about what's going on? 
Because contract negotiations, Kevin, are always about future performance projection. And that's something that scares general managers when you're talking about running backs and you're talking about them entering year five and on and onward. There's plenty. There's plenty in the running back graveyard in terms of examples of guys who, once they signed extensions, just weren't able to duplicate their pre-contract extension performance. Now, there's also plenty of guys that wound up having that wound up having, you know, some very, very good seasons after they got those contract extensions. But I think here, when you're talking about minimizing risk to the club, which is what the job of Joe Shane, the general manager's job is, this is something where they're trying to strike a deal that they think does minimize that risk. And for Saquon, as he says, it is what it is. My job is to maximize cash to myself. And look, when you look at the guys that are on their roster, am I going to say that Eric Gray and Matt Breida can make up for the impact that Saquon Barkley has? No, I'm not. And no one in their right mind should or would. But you've seen plenty of examples of running backs who have come into this league unheralded, who no one thought would make a contribution. And next thing you know, they're the starting running back on Super Bowl caliber team. Like the guy on your screen, right? Oh, that's Eric Gray right there. But, I'm, but like Isaiah Pacheco, who, who's right now the starting running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, who wound up beating out a first rounder in Clyde Edwards-Alaire and wound up being their leading rusher and their primary ball carrier in a Super Bowl season and on forward. Those are the kind of things that general managers start thinking about. And yeah, it's a game of chicken. And as, as we can see, it's playing out in real time right now. Saquon's saying, nah, I'm not coming in. And the Giants are going, okay, well, let's mm. just see where this goes then. Yeah, Lewis is absolutely right about the ability of teams to get production from lesser paid or lesser paid players or rookies. I, I think of another player who's at the very top of that list, Christian McCaffrey, of course, went on to have some injuries after getting that contract. He's been fantastic in San Francisco in multiple capacities in a very unique offense. But when he left, the Panthers rushing game did not skip a beat with Deontay Foreman. In fact, they were actually better on the ground at times. Teams are aware of this. I was hoping that the Giants and Saquon could get a deal done similar to the Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb deals, which are really two-year deals around $12 million per, and we don't know what was offered, rejected, etc. But like Lewis, I understand why if it was, you know, if Saquon wanted more than that, they would have balked. I also suspect New York is skeptical that Barkley will actually hold out and miss games purely because there are so few examples in recent NFL history of players doing that, not just at the running back position, but especially at the running back position with any success. Uh, you think back to not just Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon with the Chargers a few years ago, that didn't work out. We've seen some training camp holdouts, but by and by, it's very unusual for teams to actually hold out, exert the little, or probably running backs to hold out, exert the little leverage they have, and get rewarded for it. Shefty, your thoughts on and this? And that's where the conversation now shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the conversation now shifts, right? We're going to be talking about if and when we see Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley Again, remember, Tony Pollard did sign his franchise tender. He is contractually obligated to be at training camp. Barkley, Jacobs, they've signed no franchise tenders. They are not contractually obligated to be there. In fact, they're not allowed to be there until they sign their franchise tenders. That watch is going to go on until the very end of the summer. These players will not be with their teams when they report to training camp. They probably will not be there for the first preseason games. And then the question becomes, will they be there and ready 
for week one, or are they willing to bypass game checks? It's a lot of money to bypass, but their sights are going to be set on becoming free agents after the season. That's going to become notable. Everybody makes business decisions in this particular case. The teams made theirs today. The players made theirs today. And now we see how it all plays out over time. It's not going to be fun for either player or either team that didn't get these long-term deals done today. To your point, it's not fun for the running backs. Great tweet from Jeff Darlington for context. All the salaries are going up. 2015, a franchise tag for a running back was $10.9 million. It is now down to 10.1 million eight years later. So everybody else is getting paid. This position continues to go down. Yep. Speaking of getting paid, let's talk about wide receivers. After weeks of speculation between the Titans and Patriots, DeAndre Hopkins has agreed to join the Titans. It's a two-year deal for the 10-year veteran three-time All-Pro. And according to Diana Rossini, sources say the deal's up worth up to $15 million. Now, D-Hop tweeting this, quote, I always loved having haters and doubters, but I appreciate it even more now. Tighten up. Adam, uh, what other context can you provide on how this deal came together? Well, Kevin, DeAndre Hopkins was looking for a few different elements. He was looking for a championship defense, which Tennessee certainly has. He was looking for a stable organization, which the Titans have with Mike Vrabel as head coach and a newly hired general manager in Rand Carthon. And he was looking for a quarterback who loves the game. He got Ryan Tannehill. But I think when Odell Beckham Jr. signed with Baltimore for $15 million this year, it changed the stakes on DeAndre Hopkins. And ultimately, Tennessee was willing to offer him significantly more than any other team out there. There was one team that DeAndre Hopkins was talking to earlier this offseason that offered him $4 million. There weren't a lot of teams that were willing to go to the neighborhood that he wanted. But ultimately, in the end, Tennessee had to find a way to replace A.J. Brown, who they traded away on draft night over a year ago. They drafted Traylon Burks in the first round, still didn't replace A.J. Brown's lost production, and so they essentially decided we're going to pay DeAndre Hopkins more than any other team is willing to do. And ultimately, that's, I think, why DeAndre Hopkins chose the Titans. They had elements in place, and they had the element of pay in place that lured him to Tennessee, which, by the way, also happens to be a no-tax state, no state, and he can have even more of his money there by signing with the Titans. That plays a big role here when we talk about context, and the move really is an interesting one if you look at the context of the Titans' offseason. They lost three of their five offensive players with the most snaps over the last five years. Nate Davis, Ben Jones, Taylor Lewan. After going with the, an offensive lineman early on and then possibly Brian Tannehill's replacement, Will Levis, Tennessee has now added the top veteran wide receiver on the market. Lewis, you talked to the Titans last night. What are they doing here as we try to mm -hmm. understand? Is this a rebuild or a reload? No, it's not. It's not a rebuild. Look, they, as Adam already alluded to, and what, uh, and in talking to Rand Carthen last night, look, they have a championship caliber defense. They have a defense that will keep them in games. They have one of the best coaches in the NFL in terms of, you know, making tactical decisions on the fly in the fourth quarter in crucial moments, as there is in the NFL. What they needed on offense was a guy to help Traylon Burks out, not to mentor Traylon Burks, not to take him under his wing. But a guy who is used to number one wide receiver pressure, meaning he can rise to the occasion in those moments, third down, end of, you know, end of a first half, end of the half, fourth quarter, two minute situations, and he can do it against tight coverage. And look, DeAndre Hopkins has done that his entire career. The running game is going to be what it's going to be. They develop a, a running game and they have 
and offensive line culture that will benefit them in a positive way this year. Defensively, they'll rush the passer. They'll produce turnovers. Mike's one of the best game day tacticians as far as making defensive calls on that side of the ball. Also, the key here, quite honestly, is the quarterback play. It's how good can Ryan Tannehill be this year? How does Will Levis develop for next year? Does Malik Willis make any kind of inroads towards showing that he can be someone who they could count on two, three years down the road? That's really the key question here. But many of the other components are in place for this football team. And right now they feel as though people are sleeping on them. People think as though that this should be a total teardown and rebuild. So why would you go out and sign a guy like DeAndre Hopkins? They don't look at it that way. And when you start looking at the individual pieces, you can see why they don't look at it that way. DeAndre is going to help this offense. They need someone like him. They are still haunted by the loss of A.J. Brown. Mm. And who wouldn't be, dude? I mean, just watch how he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. Who wouldn't be haunted by that guy not being on your football team? So he's going to help them. The quarterback is really what's going to determine how this team trends over the next three to four years. They have to get that right. Okay, Mina, if Ryan Tannehill is your starter day one as they open up the season, how does D-Hop fit into this offense? You know, just purely football-wise, this makes a lot of sense, I think, on both sides. On the Titans' side, well, I thought Traylon Burks did flash some last year, and I really like the Titans' young tight end, Chigakonkwo. This was one of the worst receiving groups in the NFL. They needed DeAndre Hopkins. And then from his perspective, not only will there be opportunities as the number one wide receiver, but also because this Titans offense is so known reputationally and in execution for running the football, they face, if not the most, near the most stacked boxes in the NFL. I think it was third last year, first the year before. As a result, there are plenty of one-on-one -on -one opportunities for Hopkins and man coverage. There are voids in the middle of the field because of their use of play action. And while at this point in career, he's not going to, you know, consistently separate downfield, he can still get open underneath. He's still incredible at the catch point. He can still get you yards after the catch. So he makes, to me, a lot of sense in the context of this offense in particular, and I suspect he'll be very productive. Okay, by the way, this offense needs serious help because let's take a look at if you include the playoffs Hopkins has 72 career touchdown catches the next highest total in that building doesn't belong to any of the, his new teammates check out his coach Mike Vrabel has 12 career catches as a player are you kidding me every one of them went for a touchdown and other than Hopkins no other Titans wide out on the roster can match that career total by the way for everybody watching Mike Vrabel was a linebacker. He wasn't even a wide receiver. He didn't even play offense. That gives you the context you need on how big of addition, addition D-Hop is. All right, we're just getting started here on NFL Live. The NFL Madden wide receiver rankings have been released. Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, all near the top of the list. Find out who takes number one next. Plus, the Giants and Saquon did not reach an agreement on the final day of the tag deadline. Adam Schefter takes it inside how this affects New York and even Daniel Jones's future. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Hands off to Jacob, stutters to the right, first to the hole, he's off to the races! Kevin Agani in studio each day this week. We'll be unveiling the top 10 highest rated players in Madden NFL 24 today. It's the wide receivers. So let's get to it. Mina at number 10, Amari Cooper. Yeah, you know, his year kind of flew under the radar because the Browns didn't have a great season, but he's still incredibly productive, still one of the best route runners in the NFL, wins at all three levels, explosive with the ball in his hands. Another 91, Lewis at number nine, it's A.J. Brown. This guy's like the, the incredible Hulk playing wide receiver. He can win in any environment you want. You want him to catch a run, he'll do that. You want him to run deep and catch a deep ball, he'll do that. Whatever Mina, you need. At number eight, 92 overall, Terry McLaurin. You got to consider how good this guy was despite the quarterbacks who have been throwing to him. Quarterbacks, by the way, last year who averaged 20 points higher in passer rating when targeting McLaurin versus everyone else. Lewis at 7, Duke Titan D-Hop at 93. One of the best contested catch wide receivers that I have ever seen play football, period. The guy has got hands that have stick them on him. Jamar Chase at number 6 with a 94, Mina. He's just so complete. He's got the size, the speed, the separation ability, the strength. He's just a big play waiting to happen every time he throws the football. Okay, at five here, Cooper Cup with a 96, Lewis. Yeah, pound for pound, one of the toughest, if not the toughest player in the NFL, regardless of position. They ask him to do things that they don't ask tight ends to do on a regular basis. He can block, catch, he can run with it after the catch. This offense has no chance without him on the field. Another 96, Stefan Diggs here, Mina. I think you can argue pretty credibly that Stephon Diggs is the best route runner in the game. There's just so much nuance to what he does in terms of how he sets up defensive backs. Uh, exceptionally skillful receiver. How about this top three, Lewis? Devontae Adams with a 97. The guy's an absolute magician at the line of scrimmage with his feet, his ability to separate from press coverage. He can make contested catches. You know they're throwing the football to 17, and he makes the catch every time. Number two, Tyreek Hill with a 98, Nina. That makes sense. Lee's, uh, Lee's party in Kansas City doesn't lose a step, completely changes the way defenses play. Miami is a big part of the reason why Tua ranked so high in every deep ball category last year. The only receiver in the 99 club, Lewis, it's Justin Jefferson. Look, I think he showed you against the Buffalo Bills last year up there in Orchard Park why he's a 99. He's never covered. If the ball's anywhere near him, he'll go up and snatch, snatch it one hand, two hands, probably no hands. He might be able to catch this with his leg. He's one of the best in the league. And Jefferson, we see with this tweet, look at the custom club 99 cleats. That, that means something Ooh. when these guys all trash nice. talk about who's better and who's <laughs> not. 
So looking very clean as Justin Jeff Jefferson's feeling really good with the 99. The only guys I mentioned in that club. Mina, when you look at the rankings here, there's going to be a lot of conversation because many of these guys, they play, they talk. Who's the one person <laughs> in this top 10 that maybe should be ranked higher? Yeah, it's a good list. Wide receiver play is outrageous in the NFL right now is my main takeaway. But if there was a guy I would move, I would probably put A.J. Brown a couple ranks higher um, just because, to me, he is so complete. The size, the speed, mm -hmm. separation ability, the impact he had on this Eagles offense, both as a deep threat, but then also what he was able to do with the ball in his hands as part of their RPO game, stretching the field both vertically, horizontally, so reliable for Jalen Hurts, such a key factor in why Hurts took the leap he did this year. If, it's, if I was building a team from scratch, he would probably be one of the wide receivers I would look to first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mina, Mina, you pretty much stole everything I want to say, but I'm just going to kind of try and say it a little <laughs> bit differently. The guy, the guy is an absolute freak show. He really is. Look, he can win yeah. in the slot. He can win at X. He can win at Z. He can run. He can win going across the middle in traffic. He can win on the pivot option routes with his foot quickness. He's a guy who can win deep on the outside go routes, the nine balls, outside the numbers, down the field, as you see right here on your screen. He'll make those contested catches. When he was in Tennessee, the game plan for going against A.J. Brown was always all the in-breaking routes, the shallow crosses, the digs, the deep posts. That's what you have to take away because he's an in-breaking route-running specialist. Well, then, just when you take that away, he's, he, go ahead and he stutters you inside and then just takes it up the field and he can beat you that. There's nothing he can't do. I would put him in the top five, quite honestly. I think he's a top five wide receiver as far as the rankings are concerned. I love this segment. I didn't even have to say anything, and I completely agree with everything you guys <laughs> just said. Well done. So who just missed the top ten? How about C.D. Lamb and Mike Evans both have matching 90 grades. Pair of teammates here with the Chargers and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, as well as Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf. At the bottom here, how about very underrated and some value there? Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Devontae Smith. Both getting 87 overalls. That is a stunner. Tune in all week across ESPN as we continue to unveil the highly anticipated Madden ratings and scan the QR code on the screen for more exclusive Madden NFL 24 ratings content and coverage tomorrow. Tune in. Get up as they reveal the next member of the coveted 99 club and join us back here on NFL Live tomorrow as we unveil the top 10 edge rushers. Ahead on NFL Live, Josh Jacobs and the Raiders fail to reach an agreement before the franchise tag deadline. Find out what this means for his future in Vegas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, 
Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Kevin Agati back with you. ESPN Fantasy Football is the number one fantasy game. And with the season right around the corner, get your league started right now at ESPN.com slash fantasy football. Back to our top story of the day. The deadline for franchise tag players to sign long-term deals just passed at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Major implications for some big-name running backs today. And back here with Shefty. Adam, what went down with Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley? Well, there were talks up until really the last hour, Kevin, in trying to get a deal worked out. Josh Jacobs even was spotted at the Raiders training facility today. Didn't get a deal done. Saquon Barkley and the Giants talked today, but the fact of the matter is they never were able to bridge their differences to get a deal done. And we have seen so few running backs cash in on deals worth more than $10 million a year. The last one to do it was Nick Chubb in 2021. Barkley was unable to do it today, and now there's no telling when Barkley will report again. As for Josh Jacobs, like I said, he was at the Raiders facility today. At least somebody spotted him there, so he was hopeful that they could get a deal worked out. No deal was worked out, despite the fact that Evan Ingram, the Jaguars tight end, provided the blueprint yesterday with essentially two tags that were guaranteed and a third-year option. I'm sure the Raiders would have been willing to do this for Josh Jacobs. I'm sure the Giants would have been willing to do something similar for Saquon Barkley, but neither running back was willing to take any deal that was offered. Both felt like they were worth more money that was on the table. And so Josh Jacobs, despite being at the facility, turned down any attempts that the Raiders made today. He now will be on that franchise tender this year whenever he decides to sign it. And we may not see Jacobs or Barkley until the week before the opener, if then. You were talking about running backs in their 20s, mid-20s, I should say. Saquon Barkley is 26, and Josh Jacobs turned 25 in February, and he was the NFL's leading rusher and the league's only player with 2,000 scrimmage yards last year. He meant so much to the Raiders' offense. In fact, he had the second-highest percentage of his team's yards last year, trailing only Tennessee's Derrick Henry. Back here with Mina as well as Lewis. Mina, are the Raiders making a smart play here with Jacobs on not giving him a long-term deal? You know, I can see the logic behind this decision for all of the reasons we've been articulating in terms of second contracts, the production teams have been able to get uh, from non-highly paid running backs. But I also think for a couple of reasons that are unique to this situation, uh, one of which is while Josh Jacobs was fantastic last year, not just in rushing yards, but second in success rate, eighth in DVOA, those years were much more, or pardon me, that season was much more productive than the prior ones. He's never finished in the top 10 DVOA aside from that. And then a big part of the reason why he had so many rushing yards is he carried the football 340 times. And unfortunately, the history of rushing production after running backs carry the ball that much, even at such a young age, is not good. It usually does fall, after, fall off of a cliff. He might defy that. But I'm just saying these are probably the reasons that uh, Las Vegas leaned on in making this choice, setting aside also their uncertainty and how competitive they are this year and beyond. Yeah, I mean, Mina, what you're talking about is future performance projection, right? That's really what contracts theoretically are supposed to represent. Not what you've done in the past, but what teams think you're going to do in the future. And 
Look, quite frankly, when someone carries the ball 340-plus times in a season and there's statistical evidence that then would start to, you know, push you away from, you know, trying to sign someone who has that much mileage on their tires to a record-setting contract, this is what you wind up with. You wind up with a stalemate. You wind up with a football team that says, again, I'm trying to minimize risk to the club. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean that I don't want you on the football team. It just means that looking at the history of running backs who have that kind of wear and tear, and I'm not saying Josh has an inordinate amount of wear and tear. I'm just saying I'm trying to speak on behalf of the Las Vegas Raiders. They're going to try and protect themselves. And Josh is saying, hey, look, man, yeah, I did carry the ball 340-plus times. You gave it to me. I didn't ask for it. I was one of the best players on the team, and I did what I needed to do. I played 17 games. I caught the ball 50-plus times out of the backfield. Sometimes it wasn't clean for me, so maybe my yards per carry wasn't exactly what you wanted. Maybe my plus 20-yard runs wasn't exactly what you wanted. But the thing is, I showed up for 17 games, and I toted that thing exactly the way you wanted me to, so pay me. This is what... This is the rub, right? When you're talking about contract negotiations, especially when you're talking about running backs, they deliver for you and then you hold it against them because it's about future performance projection. And they're going, wait a second. What was I supposed to do? Keep my carries down, refuse to run the football because you're going to hold it against me in the future. It's, it's the most unique contract situation in terms of trying to negotiate an extension of any position in any sport. Because as soon as you step on the field as a running back in the NFL, your value goes like this. Mm. Every carry, it's going like this. It's going like this. It's like, it's like driving a car off the lot at a car dealer. That's exactly what it is. But Lewis, think about this. Who is the most valuable New York Giant? Is there any question that it's not Saquon Barkley? And yet, we see Daniel Jones right. get paid this year mm-hmm. close to $40 million a yep. year. We see Dexter Lawrence get a new deal. They trade for Darren Waller, who comes in at about $15 million per year, and yet Saquon didn't yep. get the number he won. So when you look at it right now, Saquon Barkley last year had over 350 touches of the football. Josh Jacobs led the NFL with 393 touches. Guess what? Now the Raiders and the Giants have to try to figure out ways that they're going to try to replace that production because I will not be surprised if we don't see either player until the week before the opener. And then what kind of shape are they going to be in? Are they going to be able to play the full Mm -hmm. opening game? Probably not. And so now these teams need to rely on other players when those two players Mm -hmm. have been such an integral part of their offense and their team in recent seasons. You know, I feel like listening to everyone talk and, and what I'm saying as well, we all kind of share the same sentiment, which is frustration with the dynamic, sympathy or empathy rather for the situation that these backs are in. But also, and Lewis and I, you just heard, these teams are acting logically based on what running backs have done with big contracts and the market forces at play. The fix for this, to me, if there is a fix, it would have to be structural. You'd have to get these players paid earlier. I think of Josh Jacobs having so much usage in college before he even got to the NFL. But outside of a structural fix that perhaps involves a draft or contracts, you can't force teams to act against their own self-interest, which is frankly what they're doing here. And for final context, the franchise tag, when you look at the order and where it is, it is just above kickers and punters. It is below tight ends, that running back position. So you may need to rethink if you want to play in this league, what position you're going to play when it comes to impact (laughs) and getting that guaranteed money. 
All right, coming up next, after mm, missing sure. out on DeAndre Hopkins, find out why Lewis Riddick feels the Patriots aren't giving Mac Jones the best chance to succeed. That's ahead. This is NFL Live. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. The top receiving catch on the free agent market has been hauled in. DeAndre Hopkins will be a Titan. And she was willing to pay more than any other team. They're going to win a division with DeAndre Hopkins. Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it for a touchdown! He's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Any ball thrown in his vicinity, he's going to catch the ball. One-handed touchdown catch! Come on, yo! Nuck is going to Nashville after weeks of speculation between the Titans and Patriots. DeAndre Hopkins agreeing to join the Titans. Two-year deal for the 10-year veteran, three-time All-Pro. And according to Diana Rossini, sources say the deal is worth up to $15 million. That leaves the wide receiver depth chart in Foxborough looking a little bare right now. The team extended Devontae Parker earlier this offseason. And they also signed Juju Smith-Schuster back in March. But he's still dealing with a lingering knee injury and missed minicamp. They're light on proven production from last season if Juju can't go. I'm back here with Lewis, Mina, and Sheffy. How big of a miss, Lewis, is this here when you look at the development of Mac Jones to not have DeAndre Hopkins in Foxborough? It's huge, Kev. I mean, come on. I mean, it's huge. And look, y'all know how I love Bill. You know how much I respect Bill and what he did for me in my career and what he taught me about football. But this isn't it, man. This isn't going to get it. They don't have a number one wide receiver on this roster right now. And Bill O'Brien can only do so much. You can only trick people so much. You can only run so much play action. You can only have so many things from a schematic standpoint that are going to net you so much. At some point, it's about the players. And they don't have a number one wideout. They simply don't. And for Matt Jones going into his third season, look, you're just still not going to see the very best of him. And look, right now you already see Juju Smith-Schuster. There's a reason why he's not back in Kansas City. And, and I think some of that has to do with whether or not he's going to be someone who can be there for 17 games, who can be there for 18, 18 weeks, whether or not he can be a guy who could be someone who Mac Jones can depend on. That's what, you know, theoretically DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins mm -hmm. brought. A guy who is used to being a number one, who can take that pressure, who can take that responsibility. Look, I like Kendrick Bourne, okay? I like Devontae Parker. I like Tyquan Thornton, but not as a one. And they are not going to be able to match the firepower of the other teams in the AFC, let alone their own yeah. division. 
So if I'm Mac Jones, I'm going, thanks for Bill O'Brien coming here. At least now I have some semblance of normalcy as far as who's speaking in my ear. But I still don't have the weapons I need. And, and I think it's just not going to end well. You know what's so disappointing about this for me, Lewis, is that we, I think we both agree the AFC East is terrifying. Best division in football. Uh, incredible mm -hmm. defenses. And even though the other defenses are so good, I actually believe the Patriots could have the best defense of the bunch. That is a Super Bowl caliber yeah. unit on that side of the ball. They are going to keep these games close. And it felt like, okay, with all the changes we've talked about, the addition of Bill O'Brien, Gesicki I thought was a good pickup. If you can just add Hopkins, you can really compete. You know, I, I think it would have given yeah. us a lot of pause when ranking this division all of a sudden, given how good the defense is, given the improvements we expect, granted, from a very low bar on the offense. But in not adding him, there's just going to be so much pressure on that defense. And I think they'll rise yeah. up to it, and I think the offense will be better. But when you stack up these groups in the AFC East in particular, to every point Lewis just made, the Patriots offense, the skill players just don't compare. Yeah, and Gronk's not walking through that door, Shefty. So what's next here for the Patriots <laughs> in this offense to help the quarterback? Well, there's not a Pro Bowl, another Pro Bowl wide receiver out on the street right now. So you look at some of the other talented players who are free agents right now. Who are the guys? There's some depth at the running back position, right? Dalvin Cook is out there. Leonard Fournette is out there. Kareem Hunt is out there as the running backs continue to go on and on and get beat up this offseason. So maybe the Patriots take some of the funds that they might have earmarked for a player like DeAndre Hopkins and reallocate them to the run game because they did lose Damian Harris who complimented Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield. They could use some more help back there. And so maybe they take some of those funds and put them into a running back here going forward. But there's not another DeAndre Hopkins sitting there on the street. And I think when the Patriots conduct business, they usually have a price that they have in mind of what a player might or might not be worth. And they usually don't go very much above that. So they probably in their own minds had a number on Hopkins that they thought was fair. And ultimately, Tennessee blew everybody out of the water and offered considerably more than anybody else, making it such that even before these teams report to training camp, DeAndre Hopkins tells the Titans he's signing with them because Tennessee was willing to go to places financially that no other team was willing to go to. You got a quarterback, too, that was struggling last year and then taking snaps uh, in between Bailey Zappi and that experience, and Jones finishing the season with 14 touchdowns and 11 picks, and now looking for some options heading into camp. Thank you guys here. Let's continue the conversation with Saquon Barkley and the Giants. Did not reach an agreement before today's franchise tag deadline. Find out how this could change the running back market forever in the NFL. That's next. This is NFL Live. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. 
based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. The Ultimate Fighter continues to heat up inside and outside the octagon. Team Chandler's veterans undefeated after seven weeks against Team McGregor's prospects going for the first clean sweep in the Ultimate Fighter history. The eighth episode premieres Tuesday, 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific on ESPN and is available immediately following on ESPN+. Plus. All right, we're past that huge 4 o'clock deadline. Players on the franchise tag could only sign multi-year extensions up until 4 o'clock Eastern today. That's Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, and Sam. Saquon Barkley, if no deal was reached by 4 o'clock, they can either play the 2023 season on their one-year franchise tag amount, or they can hold out for a maximum of 11 games to play enough for an accrued season. And let's bring back Adam Schefter. What happened in Vegas between Josh Jacobs and the Raiders, Shefty? Well, Kevin, there were talks all the way up until the final hour in an attempt to get a long-term deal done. But Josh Jacobs did not feel like he was being offered a fair deal. The Raiders did offer him a multi-year deal. He was at the facility. He was ready to sign if the two sides could make a breakthrough. But in the end, they could not. He had, did not sign the deal, hasn't signed his franchise tender, and is not under contract to the team. Tony Pollard, however, has signed his franchise tender, but did not get a long-term deal worked out today. There was no sense or expectation that he and the Cowboys would do that. This was exactly what both sides expected, and so Pollard is expected to be with the team when it reports to training camp because he did sign his franchise tender. And like Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley did not sign his franchise tender and has not worked out a long-term deal and therefore will be under a one-year contract this year whenever he reports. But he's not going to report to training camp with the rest of his team. There's a real chance we may not see him till later this summer. If then, he's got decisions to make. But here was an offseason where the Giants rewarded Daniel Jones. They rewarded Dexter Lawrence. They traded for Darren Waller. And Saquon Barkley did not get a deal that he felt was fair and comparable and ultimately turned down whatever the Giants offered. He cannot sign a long-term deal now again this offseason. And he and Josh Jacobs have to decide when and if they're willing to report to their current teams. Talk about mindset. This is the immediate reaction on social media. Six minutes before that four o'clock deadline, Saquon Barkley tweeting, it is what it is. Back here with Mina and Lewis. Potentially, let's just play a scenario. Let's just say Saquon Barkley does not want to play. He's pretty ticked off. He's not there in week one. What does that now mean for Danny Dimes in this offense? Mina? Well, I'll start. Or me uh, oh, yeah, sir. Uh, well, yeah, sure. Uh, well, I would say first I'll start here. Week one is against the Dallas Cowboys, which might be the team you want Saquon Barkley uh, the most against, <laughs> not just because um, that fearsome pass rush, you know, he can serve as an outlet for Jones and obviously uh, in the run game, but also the Dallas run game or run defense, pardon me, as, was a little bit suspect last year. Uh, so that's a game where you probably do want to run the football a fair amount. Um, you know, I, I was really looking forward to watching this Giants offense with Saquon Barkley this year because last season, uh, defenses, frankly, did not respect the passing attack downfield. They faced a ton of stacked boxes, ton of single high coverage because of Barkley and also the threat of uh, Daniel Jones running. And the hope was with some of the additions 
that they made at receiver and tight end, which I think Lewis is going to talk about, there will be more room for Saquon mm -hmm. Barkley to run. But without him, defenses don't have to account for both threats as much. So it makes him easier to game plan against, and it would undoubtedly have an effect on them. Yeah, you're right, Mina. That is what I'm going to hit on. It's, it's going to be about growth outside of the running back position that's going to have to come to the forefront and, and, and show up if he's not there. And the growth, quite honestly, even before you talk to, you know, get to the players, it starts with Mike Kafka, who now is in his second year learning Brian Dayball's system to where now he can get Daniel Jones and get this offense to the right plays even faster. So he's not sitting up there in the box going, okay, what is that play? How do I call this play? What do I do in, you know, in Kansas City? How was it? You know, so now I can get this exactly the way like Brian wants it run. And how can I communicate it to, you know, to Danny Dimes? And I think then on the football field, Look, Daniel Jones is going to have to really experience a lot of growth because he is on the same page with Mike Kafka. The offensive line is going to be better. They have much more speed on the perimeter now. Think about it. Paris Campbell, who they signed from Indianapolis. Jalen Hyde, who they draft from Tennessee. These guys are burners now. They're absolute burners. Darren Waller, he just needs to stay healthy. He is a burner. He is a guy who is a 12-1300 yard receiver at tight end. So they have got some weapons, and they're going to have to be resourceful. They're going to have to be efficient. That offensive line is going to have to protect Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is going to have to run it just like he did last year. And that's something I'm sure they wanted to get away from a little bit, exposing him to hits. But if, if, if Saquon Barkley's not there, it may be year two of him doing that same type of thing. Well, think about this. This is a lot of production for both teams to have to replace. There wasn't a player in the National Football League who had more touches than Josh Jacobs last year, just under 400. In third place in touches in the NFL last year, Saquon Barkley. And those run games, the threat of the run games from those players took a lot of pressure off both quarterbacks, Daniel Jones and their quarterback in Las Vegas with Jimmy Garoppolo coming in. Now he's not going to have Josh Jacobs to lean on, at least not right away during training camp to get acclimated. This is a problem for both teams. Now they're going to have to start thinking about is there another running back we need to sign? Do we need to have more depth on the roster? Because they cannot count on these two running backs until maybe the start of the season, and that will have been without them having gone through a full training camp. Excellent point there, Shefty, with Jimmy G there and trying to understand yep. the offense and trying to get on the same page. Before we go here, one more thing. New Lions running back. David Montgomery doing some resistance training and the band, the band wins. How many times do we see this all the way? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, come on. We don't see this often. That poor guy. Who posted this? Let me tell you, that will test anybody's core as you go backwards. There, there's your next skit, Jeff. You got to do that next. <laughs>